Welcome to Hard Truths by Vertex. This is where we peel the layers and uncover raw, unobvious industry insights and venture capital knowledge across Southeast Asia and India. We interview some of the world's top leaders in tech, innovation and capital formation to hear the stories of enlightening discoveries as well as aha moments to help early stage entrepreneurs navigate their building journey. If you like what you hear, please click follow or subscribe. Hi, I'm Elise Tan and I'm your host for this episode of Hard Truth by Vertex Podcast. Today, I'm really glad to have Gary Kong, our partner based in Indonesia with us. Hi, Gary. Hi, Elise. So Gary, you have uh, you know been with us for quite quite some time. You have started the Vertex team in uh, Indonesia. So tell us about yourself. What's your background? Sure. Yeah, I started my career in finance uh, in the United States. Uh, I worked in banking for several years uh, before doing my MBA and then returning to work in management consulting in Jakarta. Uh, after working in management consulting, I decided to move into venture investing back in, I think, 2014-ish. So I've been in venture since. I was with a local Indonesian VC fund uh, and then joined Vertex. Yeah, and I think 2017, the startup ecosystem looked very different now, right, compared to then. Yes, of course, yeah, a lot different. So how has the Indonesian startup ecosystem evolved over the years? Yeah, I think uh, back perhaps almost uh, between five to 10 years ago, the startup ecosystem is relatively uh, more nascent than it is right now. We didn't have any unicorns. We didn't have any companies that went IPO. Those are relatively recent um, you know, development that happened in the past two years or so. Now, that said, I still need to note that uh, the Indonesian startup ecosystem is still uh, primarily early stage. So there are a lot more early stage deals um, that exist here uh, and eventually um, graduate into later stage. Now, how has that changed? Obviously, with the recent uh, changes in macro microeconomic situation, as well as uh, you know, the recent cool down of um, uh, investor confidence here in Indonesia, I think uh, valuation inflation has uh, cooled down a little bit. Back in 2021, there are a lot of uh, so-called FOMO. So there's a lot of interest from uh, uh, investors, not just locally, but also internationally. Yeah, definitely a lot of change since you joined. And I'm just curious, how did you get to know Vertex? Yeah, so uh, when I was with the local Indonesian venture capital fund, we did a co-investment um, in one portfolio with Vertex Ventures. So I think at the time, we we already know each other. Uh, at some point, uh, Vertex reached out to me with regards to potentially you know, leading the Indonesian team here and, and creating one, per se. So that's, that's how I joined Vertex. Yeah. And what was your first deal? In Vertex? Actually, uh, well, my first deal was a deal that came out of uh, Y Combinator. It's a company called Payfast at the time. And this was like around, yeah, exactly 2016, 2017. So <clears throat> there's this one company that we thought was quite interesting to invest in uh, because precisely they were in financial services and using the agency model. And that company was Payfast. So we invested in them. Got it. And um, in terms of, I guess, um, industries that 
are growing well in Indonesia. You know, fintech is definitely one of them. How have fintech grown over the years? Yeah, and do you see any other sectors that would do uh, well in Indonesia ecosystem? Yeah, fintech has always been a broad uh, category of investment here in Indonesia. Uh, we need to note that you know, uh, banking penetration in Indonesia you know, two years ago was only about thirty uh, percent or so, uh, and it's probably increased a little bit, but still, it's 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 on the low side. So anything from uh, loans for payment processing uh, for for banking services for payment transaction, right? So. Uh, that there's that is a there's always going to be a big opportunity because there's there there's the financial uh, services bucket and then there's subcategories within it uh, and this could include the things that I mentioned before as well as uh, uh, types of products so it could be service provider it could be software as a service it could be a, a, a mobile application product uh, that a startup comes up with now uh, you ask what other sectors could uh, be interesting in Indonesia. I think Indonesia has to play on its strength, right? So, for example, Indonesia has a lot of uh, population count. It has grown quite significantly in the past uh, decade or so. So, obviously, the lowest hanging fruit would, would be uh, anything consumer-related. Uh, a derivative of consumer-related product would be consumer financing, right? But other things directly would be retailing, uh, hence, uh, we've seen a lot more of the companies that graduated to become uh, unicorns and eventually IPO really revolve around uh, the consumers. Now, there are other challenges or I guess, um, yeah, challenges on, of the country of Indonesia. For example, we are an archipelago. So by nature, we are a chain of islands. So infrastructure is a challenge. So one example of infrastructure would be uh, logistics and transportation. Hence, uh, there has been uh, companies that, that try to tackle this, whether it be first mile, mid mile, or last mile companies, and have done relatively quite well. So things that play into Indonesia's inherent challenges and strengths would be compelling investment thesis. Yeah, thanks for bringing us through that. So we have, uh, in fact, made quite a few investment in fintech consumer as well as logistics. We should have share um, some of these portfolios in the sector and what they do. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I think in Vertex as a fund, we invested in companies like Validus, uh, Fairbank. So these are uh, lenders, right? Uh, they, they make money off uh, interest. So uh, again, these are the things that that I mentioned before. Now, I think um, uh, Fairbank plays into its uh, uh, focus in supply chain financing, primarily in uh, you know, distributors, outlets, financing, uh, using term of payment uh, lending, essentially. Uh, other things, uh, consumer, for example, uh, Daily Co is a company that we invested. To be fair, the company has since uh, you know embraced a lot more of the offline pro footprint, but we invested in them during the pandemic, and even during the pandemic, when a lot of uh, people order food online, uh, companies like uh, Daily Co and several of its competitors actually benefited quite a lot, and that was one of the investment thesis that we made back then. Yeah, and I think um, in terms of progress, uh, Delico definitely have made significant progress, you know, 
uh, I heard that they managed to expand into not just uh, throughout tier one, but tier two segments as well. You know, I'd like to add that it's not just about direct consumption as well, but it could be, you know, services that companies provide and create to support such behavior. So another company that that, I've, that, uh, that I would like to highlight is a company like Circlo that we invested. And they essentially enable these online transactions uh, and primarily commerce, right? So, so they don't actually produce a product and sell it in the way Dailyco does. They don't create a brand, but they serve, like Circlo serve uh, brands that would like to utilize online channels and sell. So, you know, that plays into, again, the consumption behavior and the large, you know, value of consumption here in Indonesia. That makes sense. So I also want to dive a bit deeper into the Indonesia ecosystem. What do you think are some of the notable trends recently? And um, what are you personally excited about? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, we made an, an interesting investment in, in Fair Atmos uh, recently, you know, in the past uh, year or so. Uh, and that company primarily tries to solve the, the climate situation here in Indonesia, obviously as developing country uh, and, and as part of the global citizen, climate is a, is a very important responsibility that we look at. And, you know, companies that try to solve them uh, are, are, are of interest to us. So Fair Atmos is still very small. I think we, uh, I would consider it more of a pre-A or, or even a post-seed investment. So I would foresee a little bit more uh, companies that try to tackle that. Uh, I have seen several companies that, that, that try to tackle on the waste side, like waste sustainability, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, food uh, for um, uh, farm, farm animals or, or fisheries and all that stuff. Like, as I mentioned, I think uh, there are still a lot of opportunities in the, um, I guess, existing buckets that we've talked about, consumer, finance, infrastructure, uh, education, health, and whatnot, that, that still has uh, uh, good investment uh, thesis under them, right? So we are, even, even as we speak right now, we have a live deal that looks into software as a service, uh, but within the financial uh, CFO stack uh, sector. Yeah, that's very true too. I'm really excited because Southeast Asia, you know, maybe in terms of land mass or the in terms of percentage of the world, our land is really one to three percent. But um, there's so much carbon sinks, you know, in terms of concentration within Southeast Asia and particularly in Indonesia. So what Fair Amor is going to do, I believe, you know, it will really um, create a lot of change in the voluntary carbon markets. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and I think Fair Amherst is one of the earlier stage deals that we have done. So primarily Vertex, we invest at, um, you know, slightly before Series A, Series A and even B. So what do you think um, is the investment thesis could you share uh, for Indonesian market in particular? Yeah, now uh, in Indonesia uh, by itself, as I mentioned, uh, although the startup ecosystem has existed for, you know, almost a decade, that Still, primarily, um, the majority of the companies and startups, founders who are trying to tackle different problems and provide different solutions are still in the early stage um, side. So we, we as a fund may have a sweet spot within the, you know, series A and potentially, uh, you know, uh, pre B or post A, but 
um, in Indonesia in particular, we're also very open to look into you know pre aid deals or potentially post seed deals. So <clears throat> that is still uh, within definitely within our mandate, precisely because there are. And um, let me ask you a basic question, which is, if an entrepreneur is interested to reach out to us, you know, what do they need to do, and what do they need to prepare for their first meeting? Sure thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, founders of startups can reach out through multiple channels. Of course, the first, the easiest one is to go to our website and reach out to us there. There's a link that you can uh, click and, and, you know, send and submit your, your pitch. But I think it is still a more effective and uh, way to actually reach out to us uh, personally. So we participate uh, and we are actively, we always actively participate in many community or f uh, startup and, and technology community events. So events such as, you know, Tech in Asia, perhaps, or Deal Street Asia, or even, uh, you know, government-backed uh, ones like Hub ID or Nexticorn. Those, those are the, the usual places where investors uh, would be happy to to participate and look into because there are a lot of uh, startups that are being uh, congregated in one place. So, so and that's a very good way to meet somebody in person. Now, of course, um, we, you know, venture investing is a, 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 a it's considered private market. So, I think utilizing network. Uh, if you're a founder, if you have friends uh, with other founders, you can reach out. Perhaps a particular company or or startup. And then um, when when uh, they meet you for the first time, you know, how prepared should they be? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, I think uh, a, a pitch deck, um, uh, which is essentially a presentation uh, in the form of a PowerPoint or, or a PDF that helps you explain and articulate what your company is about, the problems that you're trying to solve, the products that you're trying to develop, as well as you know, why do you need to raise such funds to, to fuel your, your growth, right? Um, you know, I, I worked in, in management consulting before. And when we, when we, uh, interact with clients, we always have a presentation to help us communicate and articulate certain ideas. It's just that because sometimes you may say A and you mean you want to say A, but it, it, it can be in, misinterpreted to be B. And it goes both ways, by the way. So uh, it's, it's just uh, shooting yourself in the foot is, is what I would say. So I think you need to be prepared to bring some materials to help uh, explain and, and get the investor to understand what you're trying to do. Because once they understand and they agree and they like what you're doing, there's a higher likelihood of them um, and investors, yeah, including us, uh, to to invest in your company. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. But um, yeah, but you know, we are really um quite casual. You know, we we do we are not going to penalize you just because perhaps um your deck was not um well designed. Yeah, so just reach out to us for a chat anytime. Yes. Yeah. So um, thanks for sharing us um about you know. Um, how we can reach out. And uh, you have been the first person to start our Indonesia team. How big is the team right now? Right now, we have around five people. Uh, it's still small. Obviously, our headquarters, the main uh, investment team sits in Singapore. Uh, we do have a team in India. 
uh, as well. So Indonesia team primarily covers just Indonesia. Yeah, and I think as a VC, we are quite unique in Indonesia ecosystem. Um, you know, so we pride ourselves, uh, you know, generally as a partner to our uh, co-founders, to our investees. So, um, yeah, Gary, share with us. You know, how do we usually support our portfolio? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, if you would like to uh, get kind of like firsthand experience because or feedback, sorry, because uh, you, you more than uh, feel free uh, to actually reach out to our portfolio companies and ask for their feedback. I think um, a lot of, you know, green founders or, you know, first time founders typically just just randomly reach out to all uh, venture capital funds. But my advice would be reach out to some, reach out to startups that have been invested by multiple uh, venture capital funds and ask for their feedback, how uh, these funds interact with, with, with them as founders, right? Because that's quite important. Perhaps some investors are very inactive. Some are overly micromanaging. And maybe there's a, some that are in a good mix in between. Uh, tr- we, we are more than happy and we do like to help our companies who have such aspirations, meaning like uh, they would like to go to a different country within the region, uh, expand and per- perhaps collaborate with other portfolios that that uh, that exists in the different regions. So 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 you know we help out anything from uh, you know uh, like uh, advice on their business operation. We help on business development. We have actually a, a team uh, in Singapore and Japan that that helps uh, finding clients through our networks of limited partners for our companies and portfolios. So that has happened to some of the portfolios that we had, especially. Who exports to some of these other countries? Uh, we also, uh, you know, uh, provide. Uh, we 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 have interactions with service providers, for example, like headhunters, um, for example, like uh, legal advisors. So so these are our our service providers that we can uh, uh, introduce to the startups, and and they usually use them. Uh, themselves. And just to add, um, as you know, uh, Gary stressed early on, we are in the Southeast Asia India Fund. Vertex is actually a network of six funds around the world. So we are present in US, Israel, uh, China. We also have a growth, a growth fund that invests from Series C, D onwards. Now, uh, it is it is quite rare for an Indonesian startup to have reached that stage because, as I mentioned, a lot of them are still uh, early. But we have seen cross-country interactions that happen in, in our China fund or in our Israeli fund or even in our India and our U.S. fund. So, you know, for you out there who have such aspiration, that is something that we can bring that perhaps not many other funds could. Yes. And uh, as you correctly mentioned as well, we do have other types of uh, not just geography coverage fund, but also, uh, uh, you know, like a growth fund, right? And our growth fund, uh, VGF, they primarily focus on Vertex portfolios. So if you have become part of the Vertex family of portfolios, then, then you know, access to the VGF fund is something that, that you have uh, 
better than than other people out there. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, so Gary, you have uh, given us quite a bit about um, what we do in Indonesia, uh, and and I now want to tap into you know your six years of experience working in Vertex, and actually even longer uh, as a VC, someone working in BC. Uh, what are some of the hard truths that you learn along the way? You know that you would like to share with uh, maybe early stage entrepreneurs. Sure. Obviously, there are many uh, learnings that that uh, you know first time entrepreneurs or, or you know somebody who would like to learn, um, especially things that happen in in the recent one to two years, precisely because all the things that has happened, you know, uh, rising interest rates, the the Russian war, uh, the SVV uh, fiasco, and all that stuff. But I think uh, if if I am to choose one, and I would like to highlight one would be this this mindset of of for lack of a better word bottom line profitability now that has become more rhetoric nowadays but back 8 years ago nobody cared about that perhaps money was cheap back then so it's okay you know you you don't need to focus too much on profitability you you grow to a size where you can beat that, right? But nowadays it's very different. Money is not cheap anymore. And the, the interest rate environment is a, a very different environment than what it was before. So yes, uh, unit economics is, is and profitability is very important for you to focus on. Uh, and again, I would like to highlight that, it, you know, people, uh, especially the more inexperienced um, uh, investors would, would parrot the word profitability and, and unit economics from a PNL perspective. But you gotta be careful and you gotta be aware that as a company, it's not just all about PNL. You got your balance sheet and your cash flow statement, right? So a lot of the time, some of these companies and startups, they grow fast. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm like a unit uh, economics positive. I'm profit contribution margin positive right now. But then they're building up such a large accounts receivable books that they don't get paid like three to six months later. And that is not good. Like, sure, you're growing, but you're also accumulating a lot of backlog, you know, debt to other people who's not paying you. So on a cash flow basis, you're, you're, you're suffering and you have to continually fundraise. And now that money is not that cheap, uh, you, you may you may have a hard time uh, raising the, those cash, and and then at some point you will run out of cash, and 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 the company stops operating. In the end, cash is still king. You know, it doesn't change. Uh, the the old adage in 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 finance, you know. So I think the combination of understanding <clears throat> profitability and unit economics from a PNL basis, but supported by your understanding on the balance sheet and cash flow statement side is a very holistic picture that you continually need to watch out for. Yeah, I think um, really profitability, um, sustainability, you know, cannot be uh, stressed upon more in uh, current landscape, uh, current um, climate. Um, yeah, but I think as with early stage entrepreneurs, I have a question in terms of, you know, when we when they first start business, surely they will not make money, right? Uh, they will be burning money. So, at what point, you know, do you think that uh, they should start to aim to become uh, profitable? You know, is it twelve months into the venture? Is it eighteen months? You know, do you have any advice on that? 
Yeah, 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 sure. So uh, this, I think this question comes back to unit economics. So <clears throat> this, this is why uh, the way we uh, as inventor uh, categorize the PNL accounting slightly different from gap accounting of traditional businesses, precisely because of your question. Like the idea is a chicken and the egg. Like how can I grow without investing some, some, some capital? But then in order to invest some capital, that means I'm growing, but I'm losing money. That is precisely the point of uh, unit economics. So you, whatever it is that you do, irregardless of whether you're losing money or not when you first start, on a, on a variable basis, you need to be profitable. For example, what does that mean? If you sell $100 worth of widgets, minus your variable costs. Variable costs are costs that contribute to the sale of that widget, right? Whether it be packing, uh, logistics, uh, etc. right? $100 minus those costs needs to be positive. <clears throat> However low it is, it needs to be positive. Under this line are your fixed costs. This is your headquarters, your office costs, utilities, etc. And then you're losing money. So to your question, at least before, is it okay to lose money here? Yes, it is okay. But you need to prove that here, net of your variable costs, you are making money. Why does that matter? Because that means for every transaction that you do, that you sell, whether it be service or product, for every $100 or every dollar that you sell, you're actually making money. So eventually, all you need to do is instead of selling one product, you sell 10,000 products and then you can cover your fixed costs and then you become profitable. Now, <clears throat> if on the variable basis, you're already losing money, then it doesn't matter. For every dollar you sell, you're losing money. It's like, it, it doesn't, it's like you're, you're doing charity essentially, right? If you're doing charity, you're never not, you're never going to make any bottom line. So going back to your question, when is it okay? And when is it not okay? In the end, if you can show on a variable basis that you're okay, uh, meaning like you're profitable, we as investors can understand your rationale of doing that. So for example, you say, okay, because I'm only doing 100 transactions right now, but I have a plan to increase it to 10,000 uh, transactions, and that would cover my fixed costs and I will be profitable overall. The other potential scenario would be, <clears throat> oh, I'm losing money right now on a bottom line net, net loss level because I spend a lot on marketing and I'm only going to spend marketing uh, for the next six months. After that, I don't need to anymore, right? That makes sense. And that's okay if every transaction that you sell, you're making money, right? But if you stop spending marketing and then you're still losing, basically for every dollar you're, you're selling, you're losing like 10 cents. If you multiply that by 10,000, that means you, you know, you're losing like, uh, you know, a thousand dollars right? For all the transactions. So, so, so that is the, the mindset that the founders need to have out there. It's not about when or what size. It's about when you look underneath the layers, you will understand which uh, uh, part of your growth of that company, uh, being a start and a growth stage and later stage, you are at. And therefore adjust accordingly, whether you want to tweak a little bit on your marketing side, you want to tweak, you want to optimize on your fixed costs, you want to improve on your revenue and volume up here. It doesn't matter. Thanks, Gary. I think what you say 
is uh, simple but it's yet so impactful, you know. So, um, Gary, you know, we, we have uh, covered quite a bit and uh, I'm sure maybe there are certain things, hard truths that you want to share as well, which, which I didn't manage to ask you. Do you want to, yeah, just share? Yeah. Oh, okay. So maybe here's another learning. As a founder, um, especially first-time founders or, you know, you've only had several years' work of experience um, <clears throat> and then you want to start a company, and then for whatever reason, <clears throat> you get lucky or you, you're damn good in what you're doing. Uh, you, you're able to grow exponentially, like grow so fast in a short period of time, right? Now, managing personnel is not, is not, is not easy, but it is a skill that you need to have because as a founder, you are responsible for, for all of the happening as, as a CEO, you know, as a, as a COO, whatever, as a founder, you're responsible for your company, right? And if you are unable to, um, uh, you know, manage your personnel, being in Indonesia, knowing that, you know, we are in a developing country, there will always be uh, avenues of mismanagement and or um, you know, unfair play. I mean, that's the euphemism of fraud, right? So <clears throat> sometimes it could be your C-level, it could be your VP level, whatever it is. As a company, you need to have strong governance control. Now, as investors, we, we, we only see the level of, of you as the founders and perhaps some of your key personnel. But as you grow fast, usually you would start hiring uh, you know, individuals left and right to cover certain areas that, that are popping up, you know, exponentially, right? But again, if you don't have a strong internal governance control, that could potentially bite you in the end. Because uh, if they play, they mismanage funds, they misappropriate funds from your company, the ones who are being affected negatively is you. So I feel like you know, sometimes uh, during um, uh, the good old days, and perhaps companies that that grow really fast, they forget about this. You know, they have they have other things to worry about. Oh, I need to 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 reach this kind of revenue milestones. I need to maintain my unit economics. I gotta be profitable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, whatever Gary said before, and I totally don't bother with my human resource and my my internal governance. But I feel like. This is something so insidious because you don't see it until it's too late. And when you're worrying about optimizing your business, when you're worrying about uh, making sure people pay you back from your accounts receivable, but then perhaps your accounts receivable uh, uh, business that you've done with some of these clients have actually been tampered with by your some of your personnel, right? And then, and then, and then suddenly a house of cards just just fall down and that's very this very dangerous because once that happened you lose confidence uh with your investors and and that becomes a very unhealthy environment between investors and founders so i feel like this is something that perhaps it's not you cannot see it you cannot see it with numbers you cannot prove it you cannot see it yet i've seen the 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 impact that it can have to bring down 
large companies in a matter of months precisely because of this. So I think, uh, you know, that is something that people don't really talk about um, nowadays, but I feel like it's, it's, it's quite important aspect to note precisely because of the environment uh, or the economic and investment environment that we are in right now. So Gary, thanks a lot. I think we have covered a lot of interesting details. Uh, so this will come to the end of our podcast. Sure. Yeah. So thank you for your time again. Yeah, more than happy to share. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Before we close, do remember to check out the podcast notes via the link in the episode description. We have for you the entire episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we're sure you'll love. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do spread the word and give us a thumbs up. It would help others find the show and mean a lot to us. Thank you for joining us. This is Hot Truths by Vertex. See you next time.